Well, so it's, it's a long-standing Jewish tradition that this psalm was written by Moses. I, I think that, that the last five psalms uh, of this are written by Moses. Uh, we don't know for sure because there's no title that's given. But there's a lot in the psalm that points to Moses and a lot that points to this time of Israel when they were in the wilderness heading out of captivity with Egypt and into the promised land. And we'll look at some of the commonalities and places where that uh, comes up. The, the psalm starts off with uh, what some people pointed out as a tautology. It just sort of, it's like repeating phrases. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress my God in whom I trust. The first part, it phrases it differently, but it's kind of like saying it is what it is. It's repeating the same thing. And it's not sort of in a resignation sense. He's giving a, a sense of saying, you should be able to see that we are in the shelter of God by seeing we're in the shelter of God. In other words, he's saying the, the trust that we have, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. It's not something that you just decide to feel that. It's something that you need to be able to have seen it or recognized it in the past. And you might ask, well, how is it that that comes about? If you were to say that Moses wrote this and think about it in terms of what Moses might be thinking, he you could ask, how is it that Moses came to trust or see that God is his refuge? And that would probably go back. If you looked at his life, you could say, uh, at his birth, he was born. Uh, and at that time, the uh, children of Israel were slaves, and Egypt was worried about them. And Egypt had said that all of the male children you need to throw into the Nile and kill. They were trying to control the population of Israel and keep it from growing because they saw it as a threat. And his mother kept him for as long as she could. And then out of fear that she was going to be found out and, and probably uh, see that Moses, you know, killed before her eyes, she, she makes a little wicker basket. She puts tar around it. She puts them into the Nile and has his sister watch him to see what happens. And what happened was, is Pharaoh's daughter saw him and took him and cared for him and raised him up as her, her own. Now, if you look at that situation, you could say, well, maybe his mother was really wise. Maybe she had a plan. There's a moment of decision of trying to figure out, is this something that God has done? Is this a work of God in saving? Or, or is there some other reason why this might happen? When Moses went and he felt like God had called him to save his people, he ended up murdering an Egyptian. The Egyptians found out about it. Pharaoh hunts him down to try and kill him. He escapes. How is it that he escaped? He, he might say, I, I'm just good at escaping, or I just escape. People escape all the time. He found a place of water, a well. Some shepherds were harassing some, some women who were shepherds there. 
and he intervenes. He ends up marrying one of these girls and starting a family. There's a, how is it that all that happened? All the time in our life, there's these different events and these things that happen, and we can sit there and think through, how is it? Is it just, did I just happen to meet this person? Did I, you know, really work hard to make this happen? Or, or is this something that God's done for me? But, but in the life of Moses, what you see happening is the, the events, there's some culmination of events. He ends up going to Pharaoh. God, there's a burning bush. God talks to him, says, go back to Pharaoh. He goes back. There's these plagues. And, and one of them, he, not the plague, but he says, throw your staff down and it becomes a snake. Pharaoh's magicians throw their staffs down. Uh, they could do that too. It's not necessarily God. Granted, his snake swallows all of theirs up, but you can see this building, the parting of the Red Sea. Was there just an earthquake or something that happened? I mean, it just the Red Sea gets parted regularly by earthquake. It becomes harder and harder. It becomes more and more obvious. Sometimes there's these culminating events where we just get this sense, this is something that God's doing. God has rescued me. God has saved me. And it's from those events when it's most obvious we can look back on and maybe Moses would say, well, you know what? I know my mom loved me. I know my, but I also believe that God saved me. God saved me here. God saved me from, from the Egyptians when they were coming after me. God brought me this family and God's brought us all out here. There's this series of events. And what he's, the psalmist is saying is that without that consideration, how can we have this statement that says, my refuge, my God, my fortress, in whom I trust. And then he says, why? He says, for it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from deadly pestilence. The snare of the trapper is used in a lot of different senses. One of them in, in Proverbs, it's used that we're, we're snared by the sometimes our own words with our neighbor. By the way that we talk, we get snared into this argument. We fall into a trap of our own words. So the snare of the trapper can sometimes be us just falling on ourselves, uh, making mistakes, uh, doing things that we shouldn't have done. Uh, it's also a response that people give where your neighbor may set a snare for you. There's also senses where it's the devil is setting a snare for you, but the where it heads into is this phrase, and from the deadly pestilence, it's nature itself, a plague breaking out, a virus coming out, a one that maybe we thought we should have been able to handle, could have handled, could have, should have, but whatever the case is, it's here now. What he's saying is, is in order to have the encouragement that we need, the hope that we have, it goes beyond just saying, my God in whom I trust. It's something that needs to connect to our heart. And the way that it becomes real for us is we have to look at the works of God. And he's challenging us to take a look at where are the works of God in my life. And what he's really getting at is the way that we explain those works away, that that has a cost. And part of that cost is, is we have no source of encouragement if we've explained everything away. When we get into a place where we can't handle it, we, we now have no hope. 
it's not that we don't, we do. The acts of God are there, the works of God are there. But if we've explained them all away, there's nothing that our heart has to go on. He says, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. One of the things that's lost is that when we keep explaining away the works of God in our life, we really just don't have any grasp of God's faithfulness. We can say, I believe that God is faithful, but if we've explained away and if our habit in life is to constantly explain away every work of God, then how can we have, then our faithfulness isn't set on a solid rock. It's not something that's going to be able to weather that. And what he's saying is, look at the acts of God. Make some evaluations. See them, whether or not they are actually there or not. Evaluate it. And from that, as we see the works of God in our life, throughout our history, having uh, in our life today, what we'll see is the faithfulness of God. And then he says, you will not feel fear, fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. He's not saying that if we say this, then God's protection is there. What he's saying is God's protection has already been there. But if we make that evaluation, we say this is a work of God. This is something that God has done. Then we will see, be able to have that that encouragement that's there that God is going to take care of us. Now there's a pitfall that comes up. He says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Uh, These verses are oftentimes used to lead us in a direction that that God did not intend. When Jesus was before, uh, out in the wilderness, hungry, and the devil came to tempt him, this is the verses that the the devil came up. He said, he will guard you, and he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways, and they will bear you up in their hands, that what you do will not, uh, that you do not strike your foot against a stone. The devil was putting this out there, and Jesus responds uh, very interestingly by saying, you shall not test the Lord your God. And what he refers to is, again, an instant in Israel. When they had come out of captivity, God had parted the Red Sea. There was a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. They had become hungry. He had fed them bread that fell down from heaven. And they came to this place where, They didn't have water. There wasn't fresh water there. 
and they began to thirst. And it says, they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? And what Jesus is saying is, look, something is lost when we explain away the works of God. And it's not just seeing the works of God, it's seeing the faithfulness of God. And the problem isn't that God needs to do more. The problem isn't that God needs to be more faithful. The problem is, is that after seeing it, we're really challenged to just have a little bit of faith because the promise has never been that we will never encounter any trouble. Uh, Jesus was crucified on the cross. He encountered trouble to the point of death. The promise was that he was raised from the dead. And that's our promise. But the promise isn't just a future. It's saying that we can see things in our life today, things that have happened in the past that give us that hope. We're that hope of God saving us. He hasn't stopped all the trouble. In order to stop all the trouble, he would have to stop erase humanity. He's not doing that, but what he is doing is giving us enough events in our life for us to have hope that no matter what, he's going to save us. Now, one of the things that's that's lost here, if you look back at the, the children of Israel, when they came to the promised land, they sent out, uh, after all these different events that have happened, they sent out 12 spies, one from each tribe. And the spies went out and they confirmed, yes, the place where God is taking us is the land flowing with milk and honey. It's a wonderful place. It's more than we could ever have imagined or expected. And it was in real life. It's not just a metaphor to them. It was they were actually going to have houses that they didn't build, vineyards that they didn't plant. They were going to actually have things that were going to bring them rest and comfort, and it was all laying there for them. But 10 of the spies said, the people in the land are too great. There's giants in the land. There's no way we can do this. And out of discouragement, all of Israel turned and said, let's just, you know, kill Moses. Let's head back to Egypt. Two of the spies said, wait. Look at all the things that the Lord has done for us. Look at all the victories that he's given us in the past. Look at the way that God's been caring for us. If he's done all that, then why would this be any different? See, it's not just a loss of encouragement. There's a real tangible loss when we ignore or explain away the works of God, when we fail to see the faithfulness of God. What's lost is is that we start making decisions based on fear, and when we make decisions based on fear, we miss out oftentimes on some wonderful things that God has in store for us, things that would be the culmination of our life. We refuse to step into it, and it's not that God isn't offering it, or that he isn't doing it, or that it isn't real. It's just we're refusing to grab a hold of it. And the root of why we're grabbing a hold of it isn't just the fear. It's the fear is rooted in a pattern where even though all of Israel had all experienced the same events, only a few saw it as the work of God. Only a few 
remembered it and saw the faithfulness of God. And only a few were able to say, let's go grab a hold of what it is that God has done. And only a few were not driven by fear. And so there's a sense of loss in terms of encouragement, but there's also a real sense of loss in terms of our lives taking a different course. Uh, our lives taking a course not in the direction that God has planned for us. He ends by saying, because he loved me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will deliver him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Some have noted that this is maybe God speaking of Jesus because Jesus has has loved God in a perfect, but whether it's speaking of Jesus or not, it's speaking to us either way, it, to us in Jesus. And, and what that means is he's saying it's not just a sense of encouragement. It's not just a real sense of we're not going to get something or a place where God has taken us to. The, the real loss is the loss of relationship. What we're missing when we sort of explain away or dismiss or see events in our lives uh, as, as something that, that we've done rather than as what God's done. What, what we've lost isn't just our hope and, and our encouragement. It, it's not just that we're now living a life of fear and, and we're missing out what God has for us. But what we're really missing is we're missing how much God loves us and cares for us. And what the psalmist is saying is, look back. See the things that God has done. See the faithfulness that God has done. And, and that requires us to just have, have a little bit of faith in him. And, and as we have faith in him, and, and that relationship is based on God's faithfulness and us responding by having a little faith, what happens in the process of that is we start to see how much God loves me. And, and all God's asking for is to just to complete that relationship by saying, I love you too, to complete it but by, from our heart, putting out to him some sort of small sense of, I want to respond in love too. Uh, 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 a whole relationship of love, what it is that we want, is not a one-way thing. What we want is to love and to be loved, and God knows we're not going to be able to do that in a perfect way. He's not requiring us to do that. Jesus has done that for us. But what he's saying to us is in the midst of trouble, in the midst of things going on, look back and see what God has already done. Take account of God's faithfulness. Have a little bit of faith. But more than anything, respond to the love that God has for you in your life. Let's pray. Lord, we just uh, thank you so much for all that you do for us. And I pray that you would just bring to our minds and everyone that's watching all the different ways that you've saved us and taken care of us in our life and, and help us to put that all together to be able to see your faithfulness. And I pray, Lord, as we face new challenges, things that we may not have ever faced before, that we never thought that we would, and that sense of unknowing and that sense of feeling trapped in our homes. And I pray that, that we respond to the faithfulness that we know with a little bit of faith of our own. 
And more than anything, Lord, I pray that through this, we'd really be able to come away. And I pray that you would just this week make this even more clear to us. Or help us to be able to see it and grab a hold of it, how much you love us and care for us and really are our refuge. And help us to find a way to respond and say, we love you too. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.